Father God, what great blessings you have bestowed upon your children. Father, we are prone to wander. But for your grace, we would leave. But we're thankful, Father, that you keep us by your grace and by your spirit and by your Son. Father, we do long to see your face. We do agree that we would want the Lord to come. Father, if we open your word today, I pray that we would be we would be sanctified, that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who whom we are looking at directly help us to see him, his greatness, his power, his deity, his humanity, his perfections. Father, help us to grow and learn to be more like Christ, to live more for for his sake and for your glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Grace Fellowship Church guests. Today is a very special day. We have gathered to worship the God of all creation. We have come to to celebrate His His mercy and His kindness and His plan of redemption. We've come to extol the name of Jesus, God the Son, who condescended and was born of a virgin, who lived amid His creation for 33 years without sinning in thought, word, or deed, who was put to death by Roman soldiers at the orders of Pontius Pilate at the demand of the Jewish religious elite. This Jesus, God the Son, was crucified and died and buried. And then on the third day, He rose again. By the power of God, He rose and He lived 40 more days on this earth and then ascended to the right hand of the Father where He now sits to rule and reign where he intercedes on our behalf, waiting to return to judge in righteousness all people, where he will send all of those to eternal destruction in hell who have not believed on him for the righteousness required to enter into the kingdom of heaven and welcome into eternal bliss the resurrected, perfected bodies joined with the souls of those who put their faith and trust in him. So it's a very special day. It's one of the 52 days a year that we gather specially to think on Christ, to rest in Christ, to grow in our knowledge of Him. It is a very special day indeed, just as it will be every Lord's Day, including April 9th of 2023, when we'll gather on this day, on this special day, to worship our Creator in and through Christ Jesus, our King. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. 
We'll be in verses 26 through 33 today. Remember, Jesus had been preaching and healing and casting out demons throughout all of Galilee. He had had a Judean ministry for a while, then he came back to Galilee. And we're in the middle of Luke's gospel telling us of all of his travels throughout Galilee. Remember, huge crowds are starting to gather around him, or drawing huge crowds. And so last week, uh, we see one day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us go across the other side of the lake. Some conjecture, but he's got all this attention in Galilee and all these, uh, the, the, the pressures from the religious leader growing and there's crowds following him. And as we saw, he got into the boat and was tired. We're going to see he slept. Uh, getting to the other side, the other side of the Sea of Galilee where was Gentile land. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. Here he was, resting on the pillow of God's sovereignty. Yes, Jesus and his humanity was tired, and he slept as they traveled across the sea to the other side of the lake. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. A squall, a a hurricane-type wind, probably 40 to 50 mile per hour winds came and, and caused the boat to rock. Waves in the Sea of Galilee as high as 10 feet. And so the disciples, they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. They were afraid. They forgot that Jesus had said, we're going to the other side. They weren't believing and trusting in that, and so they were afraid, and they woke him. And and he woke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. He woke, and we see in the book of Matthew, he hushed. He hushed the wind and the waves, stopping this, this, the weather events, we've kind of had this last week. You think about the, the snow that was blowing and the winds that were blowing and the 40 and 50 mile per hour winds. Just think of, of God standing, Jesus standing there and saying, stop. And the winds completely would stop and the snow would stop. Showing that he had power over nature. He said to them, Where's your faith? They didn't believe what he had said, that they would get to the other side. In spite of all the miracles they'd seen him do, they didn't believe that they would get to the other side. And so he said to them, where, where is your faith? And they were afraid. They were in awe. And they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Who can stop the weather? Who can calm the seas. Who controls the wind? Well, it's God himself, as we saw, as we looked last week. And, and the, the disciples are watching this, and they're just, they're wondering. They're out in the middle of this lake. There's this horrible storm. They watch Jesus awaken and stop the storm. And then they continue on in their journey, as we will see today. So, stand and we'll read today's passage. Verses 26 through 33. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. 
For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command, he begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. You may be seated. This is quite an event. You think about 2,000 pigs careening off of a cliff into the, uh, into the sea, the Lake of Galilee, to their death. 2,000 pigs or so. Think about the scene. And then this, this, this crazed man who, who these demons have cut out of. This is quite an event. Very, very supernatural. Not something you would see every day. How many of you have seen pigs careening to their death into a lake? How many of you have seen a crazed man, a lunatic, delivered from demons? Christians tend to struggle with the supernatural doings of God. Either, either Christians seem to chase after these supernatural events, these doings of God, chase after them and try to manufacture them, or try to downplay and explain away God's supernatural dealings with His creation. One of the, one of the supernatural things that Christians struggle with that we see in today's passage is the, uh, the work of demons in the life of a human being. Demonic possession, oppression, is indeed supernatural. Not something we can really explain or really want to deal with, maybe. In Kenya, Kenya, they focus lots on this supernatural act of demons. Lots of casting out of demons and binding demons and destroying demons in the mighty name of Jesus. You hear it lots in Kenya. Chasing after this supernatural occurrence and control of. And then you have the other side, these, these what I would call overly conservative Christians who, who want to deny that demons even exist. We're so afraid of the supernatural, they, they want to act like they aren't even real. We cannot look at today's passage and ignore the reality of demons existing and affecting people. Given that, that Scripture is given to us to apply to our lives, we, we need to deal with demons today. The main point of this passage, I would argue, is to see Jesus' control over demons. To show His deity, His sovereignty, His control over demons. Jesus, being truly man and and truly God, His deity is on full display. He Remember, he'd been healing and casting out demons and preaching with power in a way that these disciples had seen all throughout Luke's gospel. And then 
We saw last week, as we just looked at in review, we saw this this ramping up, if you will, of his his deity as he as he hushed the wind and the waves. And then what we're going to see here, this very next day as they arrived over to the other side, was his power over a legion of demons. His power over this huge number of demons. Not just a demon maybe with the, the, the man in the synagogue or a demon maybe with a disease that he was healing, but this was a legion of demons that he dealt with. His deity on display. Verse 26, they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. Sea of Galilee, we talked about it last week, kind of in a bowl, but on the western side of the Sea of Galilee is Galilee, and Gesenaret, and up north is Capernaum, and Bethsaida, and Chorazin, all around the Sea of Galilee, Tiberias on the, on the western side, and then on the eastern side, uh, the opposite side is where they're headed. The country of the Gerasenes. Verse 27, when Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. So they sailed to the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And when Jesus stepped out, he met a man who had demons. One man in the country of the Gerasenes. Or was it two men in the country of the Gadarenes? Why do I pose this question? Because because this text clearly says the Gerasenes and Jesus met one man. This same event chronicled by the by the, the, the in Matthew's gospel though, here's what we see, verse twenty eight of chapter eight. And when he came to the other side to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs so fierce that one could pass that way. Matthew says the country of the Gadarenes, not Gerasenes. And he says, two demoniacs, not one. Now Mark's gospel, he covers this as well. He says they came to the other side of the sea, the country of the Gerasenes, and a man. So he's in agreement with Luke. So we can dismiss Matthew's gospel because it's wrong, and there's some error in the word of God, so we probably need to dismiss it. Of course we don't. There are no, there's no error in the Bible. And what we view as discrepancies aren't discrepancies. These kind of things actually make me trust the Bible more, not less. And I'll explain to you why. Because these are honest accountings of men that were carried along by the Spirit of God through their eyes, through their their personality, through their experience. Luke and Mark refer to the country of the Gerasenes. They are referring to a a small village called Gerasa, which was very near to the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Whereas Matthew refers to a city called Gadar, a larger town, probably maybe even the, the capital of that area, 
But the region was known as the country of the Gadarenes. Kind of like, not exactly, but kind of like bluegrass in the Quad Cities. Coming from Muscatine, they arrived in the Quad Cities. One might write. Coming from Muscatine, they arrived in bluegrass. One might write. Bluegrass actually goes to schools in the Davenport School District. So it's like a, a two ways you could describe those, that event. Or we could say, Tony and I went to Planned Parenthood. Or we could say, Brother Tony, I went to Iowa City. They're both accurate statements. They're not contradictory. They're just saying the same thing in a different manner. Okay, well, maybe we can rectify that a little bit or reconcile that, I should say. But, and, and the main point, the main point that they're both making is they went to an area of the Gentiles. They went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It was where Gentiles lived. Different from where they had been over here where mostly Jews lived on the west side. But what about one or two men? That seems obviously in error. Now, personally, I think, if you make me pick, I think there were two men there, two demoniacs. But, and I think what what happens is Luke just, Luke and Mark just mentioned the more memorable one. It's like if someone was telling of the time that Tony was arrested in Iowa City when he was proclaiming the gospel. They could say, a man was arrested while proclaiming the gospel. And actually, there were at least two men there because I was there when he received his ticket. And I think there were four or five there. But someone might tell the story there were three men there or two men there. Or they might simply talk about the one who was more prominent, who was more memorable. One witness could say it happened at Planned Parenthood. Another witness could say it happened in Iowa City. So Luke and Mark don't say there was only one. They just mention a man there. The, the, the way the story, it would be, you interview two people that witness the same event, they're going to tell the exact same story, but they may not match up in the same fashion. But what's important about the story is Tony was arrested for proclaiming the gospel. Really, that's the important part of the story. The important part of this story is there was at least one, maybe two, demoniacs on the Gentile side of the Sea of Galilee. So now that we can move beyond the apparent discrepancies, we can go back to the event. They sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. Jesus came upon a naked, homeless, violent, recalcitrant, screaming, self-mutilating demoniac. Where did I get all that from verse 27? I didn't. Naked, we see here in, in verse 27. He wore no, for a long time he had worn no clothes. Now, by the way, that assumes he used to wear clothes. 
So one time he wore clothes, but now for a long time he had worn no clothes. So he was naked. He was homeless. He had not lived in a house. Not only did he not live in a house, so he was without a house, he actually lived in tombs. Uh, on the high mountain of over by Garasa, there was a there was a, a a mountain with all kinds of tombs where they would bury a hill where they would bury people, a high point, and the tombs were where dead people would be buried. Some of the tombs weren't filled yet; they were burial plots waiting. So he lived actually among the dead people in tombs. Now the rest of this comes from. Matthew and Mark's accounting. Matthew eight twenty eight came to the other side to the country of the Gadarenes. Two demon possessed men coming out of the tombs, so fierce, dangerous, fierce, savage, violent, so violent that no one could pass that way. So we're trying to get a picture of this guy. This guy is naked, homeless, living in the tombs, and violent and fierce that no one could pass him. Homeless, we saw, lived in the tombs, recalcitrant. Now, I was going to use the word undetainable, but it's not a word. So I almost used it anyway, but it's not a word. So recalcitrant means obstinately defiant or, rest- or of restraint, difficult to manage. You couldn't keep this guy chained. You couldn't keep him detained. He was undetainable. We see that in Mark's Gospel 5, verse 3. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had strength to subdue him. So this man was so maniacal, you, so strong, you could not even chain him. In, in Luke's Gospel, in verse 29, uh, parenthetically, he also mentions... Uh, for many a time it had seized him, it being the demon. He was kept in a garden bound with chains uh, and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. So this man could not be held by chains, could not be held by shackles. He was recalcitrant. He was so strong and wild, he couldn't be kept. He would break the chains, and then he would be led back out to the wilderness, which is where they found him, amongst the tombs. Verse 5 of Mark's Gospel. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out, screaming. This crazy man was naked, homeless, living amongst dead people. He was violent, he was recalcitrant, and he was crotzo. Crotzo. Of the cry of a raven. Ah! 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 This is what this man was. He was naked and homeless and violent and could not be chained. Ah! Is how this man lived. He was wacky. And he was self-mutilating. We also see in Mark's Gospel, cutting himself with stones. He would cut himself with stones. He was a cutter. By the way, a quick sidebar, we don't seem to have as much of it as we did a couple, three years ago. But there's a time where there was a big craze among young adults to be cutting themselves. It's not mental illness. It's demonic. 
You're dealing with a demoniac that's cutting themselves. Deal with that appropriately. The gospel of Jesus Christ. This man was messed up. He was one strange dude. Think about coming upon this guy. Naked, violent, homeless, living amongst dead people. So strong you couldn't chain him. Screaming like a madman. Cutting himself. Why was he so crazy? Why was he so mentally ill? He wasn't mentally ill. He had demons. Echo daimonion. When Jesus stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who, echo daimonion, used in another place, daomitsomai, to have, to possess, demon, evil, supernatural spirit. This man was demon-possessed. The Gospels speak quite often about demon possession. By the way, there's no distinction between possession and oppression and depression. It's just demonic possessing a demon. This manifestations of these, this being demon-possessed were muteness, blindness, epilepsy, uh, causing Judas to do evil when Satan entered him. It is very notable to understand that in the Scriptures, most of the occurrences of demonic possession occur in the Gospels. Now we see in the book of Acts in chapter 16 and 19 we see and we see the the woman the the young woman who was uh, had a, had demons that was prophesying. Uh, so we see we see, but most of them were in the Gospels when Jesus was doing ministry in Israel. There is no possession in the Old Testament. You have a couple of times where. It looks like maybe there's possession when man's eating like a cow, but there's no demonic possession mentioned. Saul, his depression and David's depression, people would argue, but there's really no, there's no reference to demonic possession. It's mainly when Jesus was doing ministry. Now, why would that be? Why would it be that when Jesus was present, when Jesus was incarnate, when salvation was here, all hell broke loose. That's what happened. The demons, Satan, all hell broke loose. And so you see things here in the New Testament, in the Gospels, that you don't see throughout. What I'm not saying is demonic possession wasn't real, isn't real now. What I am saying is it was extraordinary in Jesus' day. And then when the apostles were out with the Gospel, it was extraordinary. 
We don't see it in any of the New Testament epistles. He does not mention it to any of the churches. He does not tell any of the churches to be casting out demons in their local assemblies or in the towns they live in. This was an attack directly at Jesus. There is, I'm not, again, I'm not saying there's no no longer any demonic possession. I, I believe that there is. I'm confident that the Bible teaches that all are under the influence of the devil and of demons. Or of God, either children of God or children of the devil. I have witnessed in my life as a Christian four people that I'm convinced were demonically possessed in an extraordinary way. Manifesting in what was very, not like this guy at all necessarily, but in, in some ways, in, from my eyes view, very much extraordinary, and this is demonic possession. But that's four people in 21 years that I believe that was the case, and it doesn't really matter what I believe. I'm just telling you. Uh, it's not, it's rare. Now, again, oppression, depression, possession are all demonically produced. At some level, everyone listens to their father, the devil. But I don't believe that every unbeliever is possessed by demons. They are guided by demons. We don't need to argue the semantics of that, necessarily. I believe there still is demonic possession. I believe that all are under the sway of the devil if they're not Christ's. All right. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes. And he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out. When he, this naked, homeless, violent, recalcitrant, screaming, self-mutilating demoniac, sees Jesus, he cries out, Anna Kratzo. Remember the crow I just did a little bit ago? Add Anna to it for emphasis. So he sees Jesus. Ah! Ah! He screams and cries out because he sees Jesus to raise a cry from the depth of the throat, to cry out an unpleasant scream. This is how the demon that was in this man caused him to react. He was screeching at the sight of Jesus. Now remember, this guy was so fierce and so strong, nobody could pass his way. They could not keep him chained. And he sees Jesus and he's screaming. He's gutturally crying out. He cried out and fell down before him. Fell down, prospito, prospito. To prostrate oneself before someone implying supplication. This demoniac, this violent, naked, strong, stronger than chains, 
man laid out before Jesus in a posture of humility and of begging. Picture this guy. They'd have him, they'd have him chained up in the city, probably the city that was 30 miles away or so, 20 miles away. He would break out of those chains. The, the demons that lived in him would drive him back out to the wilderness. He was so strong that nobody, he was so violent, the chains couldn't keep him and nobody could come past him because he was so violent. He was cutting himself. He was screaming like a maniac. And Jesus shows up and he cries out and he falls down in a position of humiliation and of begging. Incredible. This is incredible as I think about that. Like just in the sight of Jesus. These these guys. I'll go on. When Jesus, when he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him and said with a loud voice, phone megas, megaphone. So he screamed, he's fallen down. Now with a loud voice, he says, what have you to do with me, Jesus? Son of the most high God. Last week, our memorization verse, what did the disciples say? Who then is this? The demons know who it is. The son of the most high God. This this demon-possessed man knew who he was in the presence of. Demons know who Jesus is. Those demoniacs you might come in contact with, maybe the four that I think actually were demoniacs from my perspective, they know who Jesus is. Because why? Who are demons? They're fallen angels. Their Christology is solid. They know who God is. They know who Jesus is. James 2.19, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Demons believe in Jesus. That's why when Jesus is the top of a conversation... All four of those people I knew, when Jesus was the topic of conversation, they would act up. The most recent one is this Jewish guy that comes up to us over at Emma Goldman. The man is demonically possessed. And what drives him the most crazy is when you give him the name of Jesus. You give him, you read from the scriptures. He knows who Jesus is. He claims to be a Jew and he hates God and he's vile and he's... He's a man that seems to me to be possessed. This demoniac was simply doing what what he what demons know to do, what they know the truth to be. Philippians two ten, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow and in heaven and on earth and under the sea. This demoniac, controlled by these demons, knew he was in front of, and it caused him to lay down in front of him and beg, beg him. He saw Jesus. He cried out. 
and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. Begging not to be tormented. What is that? This dude just got off of a boat. He's got off this boat. After coming across the sea, he gets off. And now this man, this, this crazy man, is laying before him, begging him not to torment him. Torment. Bazanizo. To punish by physical torture or torment. Demons know of their impending doom. One little word shall fell them. They know who Jesus is and they know how Jesus will judge them. In Matthew's gospel, and behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? They knew Jesus was going to torment them for all eternity. They know right now, demons know that Jesus is going to torment them, punish them, physical torture or torment for all eternity. But they knew it wasn't time yet. These demons had good eschatology. They had good end days. They, they knew that there wasn't time yet for them to be banished. But they knew that's what Jesus can and will do. Will and could do right then. They know their eternal destiny. They are, they are fallen angels who recognize who they are in front of and what he's going to do to them, what he has the power to do to them. They know that Jesus has authority over them. They knew that he is God and he is their ultimate destroyer. He knew, they all knew that he would bruise his heel as he crushed their leader's head. What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. Why is he begging for this mercy? For he had commanded, he, Jesus, had commanded, Perangelo, to command to order. Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit, Akathatas, an evil supernatural spirit, which is ritually unclean, which causes persons to be ritually unclean, to come out of the man. So what he has done, Jesus commanded this demon to come out of this man, and now he has no place to dwell. So now this demon has no place, these demons, but we're in the singular still until just a minute, but has no place to dwell. Where is their ultimate dwelling place? We'll find out, but Jesus has now set this demoniac free. I have this extra biblical picture in my mind because it doesn't talk about it, but just think about this guy who'd been possessed by demons to the extent that he was living. Breaking chains, violent, cutting himself, screaming, naked, and the physical and spiritual and emotional relief he would be experiencing. Just like a puddle. Like the chains fell off and he was free. And now these demons are outside of him. I got a picture of him over here just, oh, relaxing. Resting. His burden lifted. And then, but Jesus turns and he he talks to this, this demon. You know my name. What's yours? 
Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. Legion, Legion, a legion, a body of soldiers whose number differed at different times and in the time of Augustus seems to have been about 6,826 men. Not tied to the number 6,826. Nor am I tied to 2,000 pigs. It's a lot. The point here is, this wasn't a single demon. This was a legion of demons. This was thousands of demons that were inside of this man. Which, think of the supernatural strength that he had to break these chains. Think of the, I don't even know what it would be, the fortitude to live naked amongst dead people, threatening anybody who went by. This was much greater than the demoniac deliverances they had seen up to this point. You know, healing diseases, man with a withered hand, casting out these demons for sure, but now we're talking about thousands. That had to be just, ah, can you imagine seeing this taking place? And it took place. This isn't some story or allegory. This is, this is what happened. This took, took place right in front of people's eyes. So, what is your name? Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they, they, this thousands of demons, Luke now takes it to the they, they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Because if he commanded them to go to the abyss, they knew they are God's demons. They will do what Jesus commands. So they beg him, even though they know it's not time, they know he's God. So they beg him not to command them to depart into the abyss, abusas, the abyss, the abode of evil spirits, very deep place, a location of the dead, and a place where the devil is kept, the abode of the beast. They begged not to be sent to the abyss, to the depths of hell, to their ultimate dwelling place. Revelation 9, 1. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star falling from heaven to earth, and it was given to the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace in the sun, and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. This is where they didn't want to go. Revelation 17, 8, The beast that you saw was and is not, and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was not and is not to come. These demons knew that if Jesus commanded them to go to the depths of hell, they'd have to go. And they knew it was too early, but they knew he was God. So they begged for something different. They looked and saw a bunch of pigs. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. The demons begged to enter the swine. Instead of the abyss... 
Could they instead enter the swine? They had to dwell somewhere. Again, demons have to dwell somewhere. Souls dwell somewhere. Angels dwell somewhere. They have to dwell somewhere. So they beg Jesus for permission to enter the pigs. Parakaleo is the word to ask for, to request, to plead for, to appeal to, earnest request. Because he is God, they knew they had to appeal to him. <laughs> Demons actually believe in the power of prayer. They actually know prayers where prayers can be answered, appeals can be answered. So they appeal to Jesus to let him enter the pigs, let them enter the pigs. So he gave them permission, epitrepo. Allow, let, permit. Jesus permitted, he allowed the demon to enter, the demons to enter the pigs. So he gave them permission. Again, we know from Job the devil is God's devil, and we know demons are God's demons. And there's not a rogue molecule. Seen or unseen, there's nothing that isn't under the complete power and control of Jesus Christ. And we see it here. Here Jesus is, is commanding a legion of devils. They're begging him to not go to the abyss. They want to go into the pigs. And he gives them permission. Because it's not time for them to go to the abyss. Then verse 33. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. Again, get the visual. (laughs) This demoniac, this crazed lunatic is now freed and resting. And then then these demons, this this legion, this thousands of demons are, are begging Christ, Jesus, to not send them to the abyss, let them go in the pigs. And he grants them permission to go in the pigs. And then these pigs hurl off the edge of this cliff down into the Sea of Galilee to their death, to drown. These these demons saying, if I can't ruin a person, at least let me ruin some some of God's creation, at least let me take something to their death. And we'd rather go drown at the bottom of this lake, of this Sea of Galilee, than go to the abyss. Now, we are going to consider greatly next week the reactions to this event. We're not going to do that right now. But I think it's interesting how Jesus values one or two demoniacs, human beings created in the image of God, far more than he values 2,000 pigs. And for those that just had this discussion the other day with people in my life that actually seemed to care more about the animals that were freezing out there the other night or that's what came to mind than the people that might be freezing out there the other night, we've got this whole animal thing pretty whacked. The animals are at the discretion of God, are they not? 2,000 pigs died this day to the glory of God. 
We'll look at that more next week. I want to close today considering our battle with demoniacs. Our battle with demoniacs. As I talked about earlier, I have no way to determine whether someone is demoniac, demoniac, possessed by demons, or just under the sway of the devil. But I do know that the unsaved among us are either possessed and or in the sway of the evil one. And I do know that our battle with demoniacs and demonically influenced people is not a physical battle. Ephesians 6.12 For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is still true today. Our battle is not with people. It is with demons. That's who our battle is with. Our battle is not with people. It is not with the people who are under the sway of the devil or possessed by demons. It's a spiritual battle that we fight. 2 Timothy 2, 24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Whether they are in the snare of the devil or demons live in them, we're fighting a battle for their souls to release them from that. Everyone is under the sway of the devil unless they have been born again. Paul speaking to Christians, believers, saints, he says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins, in Ephesians 2, in which you once walked, following the course of this world. You Christians, you used to follow the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. You used to follow the spirit of the age. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, everyone was under the sway of the devil. You Christians, you Christians in Ephesus, you Christians in Davenport, you at one time walked according to the prince of the power of the air. You followed him. You, you, the spirit... Of the age, it was in work in the sons of disobedience. You too used to walk in these manners. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even we were dead in our trespasses, made us live together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Everyone is either following the spirit of the age or is demon-possessed, oppressed, or depressed and can only be delivered from that by the power of Jesus Christ. That is how they'll be delivered from that, by the power of Jesus Christ. Revelation twelve eleven, and they, God's people, have conquered him, the devil, 
by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. It is with the blood of Jesus, the power of Jesus, that we have victory over demonic rule. Colossians 1.13 He, Christ, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. We all have been Christians, and everyone who's going to be in the kingdom must be delivered from the domain of darkness, just like this demoniac in the country of the Gerasenes. When we are delivered from the dominion of darkness, from the power of the spirit of this age, we are given what? We're given the Holy Spirit. Second Timothy 1, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. The Holy Spirit dwells in those who have believed that Jesus died for the, their deliverance and their deliverance from sin and from Satan. That is, that is what happens. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. And the Holy Spirit cannot dwell with demons. 2 Corinthians 6, 15. What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are his temple of the living God. As God said, I'll make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I'll be their God and they shall be my people. Listen, there's no deliverance needed for Christians. I used to go to a church where they had a deliverance ministry for Christians. That's not biblical. Now that ministry should have been preaching the gospel to people that were having all of these mental health issues unto salvation. But there's no indwelling, there are no demons indwelling God's people. What drives them out is the power of Jesus Christ. God will not dwell with demons. 1 John five eighteen, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. The devil nor his demons can live in a Christian. We are born from above. We no longer are oppressed, possessed, or depressed by demons. Our battle for souls requires the power of Jesus to remove demons and demonic possession and the devil's sway. So simply what we need to do is is simply what we need to do. Just go out and say, in Jesus' name, I cast out all the demons. Is that the power of God unto salvation? They sure think so some places I've traveled. Some of the TBN shows I've seen sure, think, sure seems like that's what they believe. What actually, what actually needs to happen? The gospel of Jesus Christ needs to be proclaimed to deliver people from dem- demonic possession and sway. I came up with this quote this morning. One of the best quotes I've ever come up with until I read it again. It's not all that good, but whatever. We don't cast out demons by announcing the name of Jesus. We don't simply go up to someone who's a demoniac 
or an unbeliever and say, I heal you in the name of Jesus. I cast out and bind the demons in the name of Jesus. I announce the name of Jesus and I did something. No, that's not what we do. That is not what we do. We cast them out by proclaiming the name of Jesus. Proclaiming the name of Jesus, all that he is, all that he's done. Proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. The entirety of who Jesus is, not simply some magical name with five letters in it. But we do cast out demons by the power of Jesus Christ. That is how demons are cast out. That is how people are delivered from the dominion of darkness. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Who he is and what he's done. And who you are and what you need. When we proclaim the gospel and the spirit of God moves, all the demons will forever leave the person who has them, never to return if they would believe on and confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Unbelievers in this room, you ever find yourself saying, I can't stop whatever it is I'm doing. I sure wish the devil would let go of me. Believe on Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Confess him as Lord and the demons will be gone. Never to return. Your chains will fall off. You'll be set free. Not to a life of perfection. To a life of forgiveness. And growing in holiness. Then they set sail. They sailed to the country of Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. Closing thought. Jesus, God the Son, delivered a naked, homeless, violent, recalcitrant, screaming, self-mutilating demoniac in the country of the Gerasenes by commanding the demons who controlled him. Some 2,000 years later, The power of God contained in Jesus Christ is still delivering his people from demonic control by the power of the gospel. I know because he delivered a vile, wicked, sexually immoral, self-mutilating sinner named Mike Reed. Sinners, will you believe today? Will you believe 
in this Jesus who you keep hearing about? Will you believe in the sinfulness of your sin? Will you believe that God stands ready, Christ stands ready to save you? Will you turn from your sin and put your faith and trust in Christ alone? Don't be Don't be under the sway of the devil because you will end up in the abyss with him. Today is the day of salvation. Father, we thank you again for the clarity of your word, the hope that we can have in the power of Jesus Christ, in the reality of his authority that you've given him to judge and rule and reign. Father, the reality of your plan of reconciliation and redemption that has has provided for us a way to be made right with you. Father, Even the demons believe, but the demons have no chance for redemption, have no way. They are permanently fallen. But Father, for your pinnacle of your creation, human beings, you have made a way for us to be made right with you. Father, may you help us to be a people that goes out to fight the battle for souls. May we believe on your spirit to move. Today, I pray your spirit would move and break through a stony heart. Even if someone who maybe has confessed Christ for years but is seeing that they've never really believed on him for the forgiveness of their sins, that they don't see themselves as ever having been possessed by or swayed by the devil, Father, I pray today that you would soften a heart that would believe on Christ and live. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son in whose name we pray. Amen. Stand and sing hymn 181, His Robes for Mine, 181.